0: it's cam whitmore time going back into nba draft prospects today looking at the villanova wing a rare one and done from villanova and sam ferris is going to join us to talk all about cam whitmore good fit for the pacers we'll get to it all today on the locked on pacers podcast you
1: are locked on pacers your daily indiana pacers podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Of the Locked on Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today we're diving in, talking about Cam Whitmore, a very, very fun draft prospect. In this class, Sam Ferris is going to join us to break down everything about Whitmore's game. Such a unique prospect for many reasons. A one-and-done at Villanova. A crazy combination of trades. Really looking forward to this. As you can see, I'm out on a deck in Anchorage, Alaska. It's 2 a.m. for you people in India, but it's still super bright and freezing cold outside here in Anchorage, Alaska. Be back tomorrow talking about the free agency landscape for you Every day is why I expect some trades this summer and how the Pacers can get involved in that process. Looking at the finals, those teams that the Pacers can learn from them Thursday, and then a draft prospect once again on Friday. So lots of fun stuff coming on Lockdown Pacers, but today it's Kim Whitmore Day with Sam Ferris. Let's just get right to it. Sam Ferris is here. It's Cam Whitmore time here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Uh, This isn't even possible to say, but a Villanova one and done. (laughs) Somehow, that's a real thing. Whitmore, fun player. Sam covering the draft for many places on his Twitter. He's in our Locked On NBA board show. Sam, big picture. What do you think of Cam Whitmore? Because if I had to, like, elevator pitch him in 10 seconds, I would say he drives at you like he wants to shove you in a locker. And I think that's just really fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really like Cam Whitmore. One of my favorite prospects to watch in this class. You gave your elevator pitch. My sales pitch uh, for Cam Whitmore would be, it's just really rare to find guys that have the combination of burst, of strength, and leaping ability. Like you very often find guys that, you know, are quick and can jump, but maybe are more on the frail side. Or you find guys, you know, like bigs that are strong and can leap. But it's just a rare package to find burst and leaping ability and strength. Uh, And he came in at the combine, like uh, six, six and a half in shoes, 235. And he's still one of the youngest prospects in the class, still uh, under 19 years old. So that type of frame, that athleticism at that age is really intriguing.
0: Yeah, I was just watching them. To put all of what you just said into one like moment, I was just watching before we started. They were playing Creighton, and he had it on the right wing, and he did a wonderful move and got past his own defender. And then he got to the big on the inside, and he bumped him with his shoulder, and then did like this power hop and just exploded right past him, and he didn't move at all from the contact. He just exploded up and scored, and it's like, to have the athleticism to get by your guy the speed to stay in front of him and gets the big and then the strength to just push the big out of the way and score it's like whoa you know you just very rarely see all that happen in a row
1: yeah and on top of like him weighing 235 and having that frame like you said it's really it's good to see him use that frame like he's not afraid to play with physicality and then yeah. on top of that he gets on top of the rim quickly like when he gets a step on his guy whether it's off the dribble or against like a tilted defense, like he can get on top of the rim quickly. And if you are potentially playing with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton at the next <laughs> level, you know, that swing, that kickout pass, it's really easy to envision him just against the scrambled, tilted defense, getting on top of the rim quickly.
0: For sure. It's really interesting to kind of dive into how he scores offensively because you know, when he knows he can beat a guy or he actually does beat a guy, when he gets all the way to the rim, he's a really good finisher. Like I think he shot over 70% from inside four feet. I use CBB analytics shot charts. I don't know where you get finishing data. But outside of the rim, like the mid-range the mid range shot is kind of suspect. He doesn't take a ton of them, but yeah. he's not a great score there. From three, he's a good catch-and-shoot guy, but not a self-creation kind of threes guy when you look at his offensive package of scoring Villanova was is a strange place like very few guys are one and done from there they develop where they like there are a lot of plays where he's just standing still because of what they're running not because he's being lazy so it's like how do you kind of view his scoring context like do you feel like he there's a lot more that's obvious that he just didn't do because of what their team's offense was do you feel like he's just not that good of a score in the mid-range and off the bounce in general where do you kind of look at his scoring abilities outside of the rim, where it's obvious that he's very good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a lot to hit on here. And I think for some of your listeners that are more casual college fans, it's important to uh, remind them that, you know, when you think of Villanova, if you didn't watch last year, you might think, oh yeah, really good school, really good basketball program. They were probably really good last year. Well, that wasn't the case. They were not a very good team last year. And one way that you kind of see that reflected in the numbers. Like you said, he shot really well on catch-and-shoot threes, actually shot 40%, but the sample was so small. Only 13 uh, catch-and-shoot threes last year, 13 open catch-and-shoot threes, I should specify. So to me, that says Villanova didn't really have guys to create advantages or attract the defense. And because of that, it was a lot of self-created offense for Cam, and very few just open catch-and-shoot shots, I think the shot looks projectable to me. And and one other thing I'd add on that is the the mid-range game really isn't there for him yet, but I do think that he has a chance to become a good shooter from three off the dribble. He took a lot of them, and they didn't go in, but that's the case often for guys that young. To me, the fact that he's comfortable taking them Even like step back threes, he took quite a few of those and they look good. Like the form looks good coming out of his hand. And to your point about him not being much of a mid range scorer, even though he's a really good athlete, his jumper is more kind of like a set shot. It reminds me kind of of guys like Luca and guys like Anthony Edwards, where they don't elevate a ton into their shots. But because of that base, they're really comfortable stepping back from distance. And pulling up from three, but you don't see him really elevating much into mid-range jumpers. Not like, not like a guy like Devin Booker or like Zach Levine, DeRozan. So that's not really been his game. Um, but I do believe in the catch and shoot three, which is obviously important for spacing in the NBA. And I think you know if he hits a, his upside or a higher percentile outcome, I do think that that pull up and that step back three. Though it didn't go in in college is something he's comfortable doing and is a potential avenue to like some self-creation upside for him, you know, down the line a couple years from now.
0: Do you feel like he'll require the ball a lot to be his best in the NBA? Because you just talked about that catch and shoot ability. And if he's this yeah. powerful driver, that's great. But I, I want his usage is it's weird. Statistically, Hi, the way he plays if you watch him matches his stats i think the least of any of the top 9 prospects cuz like i start on B-Ball and a lot for these guys cuz uh-huh. like his pa- his is better than his assist numbers say i think we'll get to that um yeah. but but his usage is kind of high it was like 25% but he didn't have the ball that much right on this team so i was like what does this project for him is like is he just a play finisher can teams actually give him the ball a lot and i'm curious what you think there because i don't think you would ever really have him run a pick and roll. Now that he can't, it's just not something you would do. But at the same time, he kind of needs the ball to be his most effective.
1: Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't think he's going to be anybody's primary, like heavy on ball guy. Like you said, can he run some second side pick and rolls? Like, yeah, I think so. He did do that at Villanova. There was one clip I tweeted out the other day that uh, he rejects the screen and just blows by two guys and dunks. Like, he's not going to be making advanced reads out of pick and roll. He's not too much of a setup guy at this point in time. And so certainly not off the bat in the NBA do I expect him to be any type of primary ball handler. Certainly if he ends up in Indiana, he's going to be playing off of Halliburton. He's going to be playing off of Nemhard, And to me, that suits him better because the advanced reads aren't there for him, but you don't really need him to do that if he's more of a play finisher to start off the bat. And then hopefully some of that passing grows for him, at least as like more of a connector or making simple passes attacking closeouts. I actually, well, like this, again, I just said this, but I actually thought his simple passes
0: were like fine. You know, he's not an assist yeah. guy. He's not throwing guys open. But like when two would come to him and he'd pick up his dribble, like he'd find the right guy right away. Like it's not like there was bad timing or anything there. And I was like, you know, "That that's at least somewhat encouraging to me if he's going to get run off the line a lot or if he's going to be a second-side pick-and-roll guy. It's like, okay, this won't go terribly right away. Like, he has some sort of base there despite the numbers being like, hey, this guy might stink at this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, this is kind of the big debate with Cam Whitmore is if you're into the numbers side of it, the analytics side, like his assist percentage is like bordering on like red flag territory <laughs> where it's like, You can still be good. Like guys like Jalen Brown are kind of lower field star players that are more high, more just play finisher types. And maybe he ends up more in that kind of a player type. But to me, when I watch the film, like you, no, he's not making high level reads. No, he's not going to be my primary. But I don't think he's really in that red flag territory where I'm dropping him significantly due to those concerns. But there are people that that do believe that and so where you fall on him is like where is his basketball iq where is his feel for the game is definitely one of the main discussions and arguments you find when you know you're discussing cam whitmore as a prospect Hey guys, short little break here. So I can talk to you about that game time app. Buying tickets to your favorite
0: event should not be stressful at all. And game time is the fastest and easiest way to get the tickets for the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with no stress. They've got killer. Deals on last minute tickets and the, their best price guarantee. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every event you could want. They have images of seat views and their lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection makes game time perfect for you. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee. Means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and roll for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the price difference. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the promo code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. But again, create an account and redeem the code On NBA for $20 off with the Game Time app. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. I think that would influence quite a bit of what his role would be too. Like if he can develop even like a quick corner kickout read, it's like, oh, wow. (laughs) All of a sudden you feel way better about what he could be. I do want to touch on the defense and touch on is not not enough of what I want to talk a lot about his defense. The Mm -hmm. strength thing we talked about earlier, I think, is a big part of what pops to me for him defensively. Like people will drive on him and he'll get bumped. He doesn't move, right? Like he's still straight up, right? He's still in front of his man. Of the winger, wingier guys in this group, it's interesting because it's like, well, Hendricks and Walker are better and maybe yeah. Asar, TVD. So the defense is like interesting because on one hand, the strength, I feel like it's like, OK, you could guard several positions because of that. Like I wouldn't be freaking out if he got ended up on a four and he's quick enough to stay in front of a lot of positions. But he's still not like the best defender to me. Like he reads he reads what the other team is doing pretty well i think positionally he's fine i just he's kind of upright and not always right in front of his man even though when he is he's stocky enough to stay in front of a lot of guys do you agree with that that's kind of the sense i got
1: yeah i agree with that and this is like we have a similar conversation with these type of prospects every year where it's like the young guy the one and done the athletic wing that has the tools but doesn't really show it consistently in his year in college how much do you believe in them and we've certainly seen guys go from this starting point to end up becoming good NBA defenders, whether it's the Ben Simmons, the Clay Thompson's, whoever you want to call on. So to start out first though, like he's got the size, he's got the movement ability, he's got the strength. It's important though, that, you know, length for perimeter defenders is one of the main, um, projectable points in terms of projecting a guy to the next level defensively and his length isn't great like six eight and a half wingspan is kind of below average for like a small forward so more of a strength based than a length based defender and kind of along those same lines like I project him to be a better on ball defender at the next level his ability to slide his feet is good nobody's going to really power through his core and through his stomach because very strong guy, very sturdy. But then you get to the team defense and that's where it's more of a question mark as to how much he's going to pick up. There are certain guys you watch that just have that preternatural ability to make rotations, to dig down into the post that just really understand where to be. He doesn't fall in that group. And so, you know, a big question with him is, is he just gonna remain a poor defender in the team construct defensively? Or because he's so young, is he gonna pick it up and become at least above average? But I think with his tools, it's safe to project him to at least be an above average defender on the ball, which is is certainly helpful.
0: Yeah, I think that all makes sense to me. It's almost he's like like I'd almost want him to guard up instead of down you know in, at the uh-huh. pros like on a yeah. on a taller player that he'd be more physical with but then you're dragging him into like it's easier to put you in a pick and roll if you're guarding a 4 or 5 or whatever position if you're guarding up so you mm-hmm. know it, i i don't really know what he projects for me on defense and like i told you earlier i always start on bar before hopping over to to games his mm-hmm. steal and block percentage are pretty pretty good like the, if yeah. you're just start there and throw those in and go okay this usually is a decent way to project like general defense. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize Cam had this going for him, but you don't really see that as much for him on the tape. He is the biggest numbers versus tape guy in this whole class to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and there's some really strong points with the numbers and some other concerning ones, like the free throw rate offensively might be something we get to. We will. Um, But one other positive thing I'll point to is that defensive rebounding is a part of defense. Great at it. And he does really well at that. So if you're thinking about maybe at some point you'll have him play the four next to a guy like Miles Turner, he's not really a weak side rim protector. Right now he's not a guy that makes great rotations, but he can provide rebounding from the four. He does have size. And then if he's able to do that, then his ability to attack in space offensively can be utilized even more. So I think it's worth bringing up that rebounding defensively, because I think rebounding sometimes gets glossed over in today's NBA, but then you see in the playoffs, those ability to to secure possessions on both sides, that possession game is really important. And I think that's worth calling out as a strength for Cam as well.
0: Yeah. I got the rebounding in my notes as well. Like it's rare that I'm like it. I even notice <laughs> that yeah. they're good or bad exactly. at it, you know? So the uh-huh. fact that I even typed it down, I think, uh, I think is noteworthy. What so some people ascribe to the you are what you guard positions theory. I don't know if you do or don't, but if pretend you do just for this question, what will his position be in the NBA because his size is kind of like 2 3 his ability is kind of like 3 4 and not that it matters that much. I just I kind of wonder on a team like the Pacers is the reason I'm asking this is like, is he too duplicative with their guards or is he clearly forwardy enough that that doesn't matter at all? Like his position, if that even is a thing that matters in the NBA anymore is interesting to me.
1: Yes. I think he's a three. So like high level team fit with the Pacers to me, just from a positional perspective, like he makes sense because you can slot him in Halliburton at the one Matherin or healed at the two. To me, he makes sense next to those guys at the three, and you've got shooting from those other two posi- uh, positions to help space the floor. So, no, to me, he makes sense from a positional perspective. You add with him a little bit of jolt of that, you know, that athleticism and the physical strength that I don't think they necessarily have at those positions yet. And frankly, it's just hard to find athletic wings. Like every team in the NBA yeah. are looking for those guys, especially if they can shoot. And so to me, he fits from a high level, from a positional perspective, but then you kind of get into the point you made of, is his skill set a little bit duplicative of Ben Matherin, which is weird. I, I wouldn't have really asked that as much last year, but then Matherin really hit as like a slasher, foul drawer, downhill driver last year. And the jump shot was a little bit more hit or miss than I would have expected. Overall, still really good rookie year. But it's just kind of interesting how guys' games can change when they get to the next level. And so I I see both perspectives. Again, I think he slides well into the three there. But I do see a little bit of overlap of skill sets between those two guys, uh, kind of as slashers playing off of Matherin. You can't get enough shooting. You can't get enough athleticism. But I think it's something, you know, kind of worth mulling over at least. I agree with that,
0: uh, all that. Like part of what is interesting to me about Whitmore is I watched him. I was like, oh, I, I like this guy a bit more than I thought I would. But then I also was like, man, h- him and Matherin, and if, if neither of them become above like 36%, 37% from three, it's like it's the same guy. <laughs> Not yeah. exactly, but yeah. you got what I'm saying where it's like, uh, this isn't. You know, they're not complementing each other enough to really stick that together. And usually I'm not like, I don't care that much about fit with prospects because team rosters change so much, but it's pretty clear to me that for the Pacers specifically, Halberton and Matherin, think about those two and what they would fit with. Everybody else deal with it in the future. Um, and, And that's why I thought about that with Whitmore specifically more than other guys. Something interesting about, oh, by the way, just to go back to something you said about athletic wings who can maybe shoot that's part of why i love gg jackson this year i'm gonna do a whole yeah. show on him I, th- I think he is awesome <laughs> um yeah. he was a guard i didn't know this before college he's really good uh any part of the because he's like in this range with maybe maybe it's just who he's around with like jairus and grady dick and taylor Hendricks who are good players and have a more like obvious nba role I think people view Whitmore as this higher ceiling guy because of who he's around, maybe more so than what he actually is. But I'm curious of the guys commonly mocked. You you can describe who this group is in any way you want. But in the let's say five through ten range, if you feel like he is one of the higher ceiling guys of that group or if that is maybe compared to just the other guys in that group who have different or more unique draft skill
1: sets. Yeah, I'm kind of pulling up the board there to do some quick <laughs> comps. Well, uh, I suppose, a lot of people would say is a higher ceiling. But, a higher uh, ceiling? I mean, yeah. I mean, compared to a guy like Grady Dick, for example, like Casey Wallace, kind of in that range, like, yeah, I would say that he is more high variance, I guess, because you don't know exactly what the feel is with him, and then also there's like the way I'd explain it is there's a lot of kind of like half question marks with cam Whitmore. There's no real red flags in my opinion. Like there's nothing holding him back where it's just a real question mark, you know, with the Thompson's the jump shots is a real question mark, but they've got so much special everywhere else. You kind of uh, battle I'll that. Out the mind.
0: biggest Thompson's question mark. Cause I watch their games and there's a vibe
1: cam in the middle of every quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carry yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> So, with Cam, I don't see any like full fledged, like anything that's just a complete red flag. There's just a couple half question marks. How, how, like, where is his feel on like the continuum, you know, as a passer? And where does his jump shot end up? And where does he end up as a team defender? Like, to me, he can end up hitting on all those and it wouldn't be that unrealistic. It's just a lot of like half question marks. But again, I, I haven't I don't think I've specified where I have him on my board. And so I'll 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 just spill the beans now. I have him <laughs> fifth. I've got him fifth. So I'm obviously not too low on him. I buy the physical tools. And especially again, like I mentioned, it's tough to find wing-sized guys that are explosive, strong, and also have projectable jump shots to the next level. Cause as we've seen in the playoffs if defenses don't have to worry about you, it just becomes a real problem. And that's something I go back over. And with him, I don't think that's the case. I think the jumper is projectable. And then there's certainly paths to real upside as like a pull-up three-point shooter, who's also just a problem getting downhill with that size and athleticism.
0: Yeah. I talked about this on another recent episode for a prospect, but just like it was very, very noteworthy that the Nuggets figured out how to make Aaron Gordon's non-shooting not an issue for them, because most of the time, good players who can't shoot become somewhat problematic in the playoffs in some way, and so you hope with every prospect is there's at least some path to, like, I didn't pick your number. For me, it's probably like 34%, you know, where it's, like, yeah. good enough, you know, or yeah. it's not embarrassing, and Gordon, of course, in their closeout game, it's like, oh, he figured it all out <laughs> from three, but, yeah. you know, that that is something that matters, and it's, like, Part of the heats run right now is like, oh my god, Caleb Martin can't, can't miss three anymore. Yeah. We can put him out there with any other four guys, and this is great. Exactly. So, yeah, I agree with you with all that in general. I don't know, I don't, I haven't ranked players yet. I mean, I guess I could. Like, I'd probably have him about close to you because mm-hmm. of similar reasonings. But I hear a lot of chatter with him about his ceiling being way higher than a lot of the other guys in his range. And I don't know that I buy that. Like, I think it's high, but I don't know that it's like so much higher than everybody else. I just think similar to you that wing sized guys with his skill sets are just like all the rage and really important with, the, with what the NBA is right now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I feel like when a lot of people talk about the draft, like everything is unknown. A lot of people will talk about it as if we know who has the higher upside. Like, would we have said Nikola Jokic had the highest upside in his draft? <laughs> would we have said Steph Curry? Maybe. Uh, would we have said James Harden? Maybe. But you look at guys and like, when we talk about upside, a lot of people just reference physical tools or athleticism. And a lot of times that is the case, Giannis, MB yeah, I'm guilty yeah. of that myself. And I am too. But then you go down the list of the best players in the NBA and it's just a lot of a mix of different skills of different types of athleticism like is James Harden's like in his prime his ability to decelerate that's not something we think about as traditional athleticism or right. Steph Curry's ridiculous hand-eye coordination and that's where scouting in the draft gets so difficult and so sometimes I like to push back and I've done this on myself where like we don't really know necessarily who the highest upside guys are there are certain cases you can make and there's guys like like Giannis, for example, like yeah, that makes sense that he's a high upside guy. But in other cases, it's not really so obvious. Two two more
0: things for Whitmore that I'll put into one point because they're both statistically based. Mm-hmm. Uh, two stats you brought up one of them earlier. I'll do the non free throw rate one first. His turnover percentage is pretty low. Uh, it's not like super low, but for his usage, it's pretty low. And yeah. this kind of is something that I've thought about with him offensively from a floor perspective. Is He's kind of like a low mistakes player, if that makes any sense. His team defense yeah. is definitely not all there. But, like, it's hard to be really harmful as a prospect if you're just not making mistakes, if that makes any sense. And I think that's kind of important. Monte Morris's whole thing with the Nuggets for forever. It's like you're not raising that much of a ceiling, but you never mess yeah. up. That's great. All right, go dribble <laughs> and pass. Um, so that is encouraging to me statistically. But the free throw rate for a high – lotto guy, a high prospect, 25.1%. Not so encouraging there. What do you make of both of those numbers and how they'll play into him in the pros?
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll start with the turnover rate first. So when looking at that, I like to break guys into different categories. If you're an on-ball guy or project to be that at the next level where you need to be the creator for your team, for yourself and for others, then turnover rate doesn't matter as much because I like to see guys trying stuff and even if they're making mistakes they're learning they're expanding and and seeing what they can and can't get away with so I don't I don't mind turnovers in that case as much but with guys that project to be more off-ball role player types then to me I, I have found that having a low turnover rate is a good indicator. And so I like to see that from him, just low mistakes. You're not making just poor mistakes, obviously. And and that's something that when I've looked statistically at the past, that's been a good indicator. So I like to see that from cam. Um, And then the other one you hit on and I hit on earlier, the free throw rate, this one to me is more concerning Yeah, because a lot of times free throw rate is like pretty translatable from like pre-draft, pre-NBA st- statistics. Like Jimmy Butler, you go look back, incredibly high free throw rate. Now, certain guys draw fouls in different ways, but the fact that he's such a powerful, impactful downhill driver, but still didn't get to the free throw line very often is a little bit concerning. Um, because like... At- if he wasn't the highest field player and the three point shot didn't end up hitting a high end outcome for him, then, you know, the ability to get to the free throw line is like another fallback or another pathway to success for him at the next level. And so that's something that I do worry about. That's something I have in my notes that definitely is kind of a con for him or something that I'll be watching out for at the next level. You never know for sure. Like Benedict Matherin, you guys saw last year, ended up drawing a ton of fouls and was one of the things that was more kind of pleasantly surprising from the rookies last year. So guys can always change. Like he's still young and growing, but certainly the lack of trips to the free throw line, especially for a guy his, you know, that, that that is that physically imposing, is one of the things that I'm more worried about with him and his projection
0: even freshman matherin had a 42 percent free throw rate like yeah cams yeah. is 25 for for people who don't understand wh- how low this is 11 players on villanova took a single free throw at least this season whitmore's free throw rate was ninth on his team not like yeah. amongst freshmen not like amongst the biggies like on his team mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys were getting to the line that much more. So that that is certainly an in- interesting indicator with him. Matherin's second season, a lower free throw rate was still 12% higher. And obviously he hit the absolute highest end outcome of that right away. Yeah. 13th in the whole NBA. I'll never forget that stat. So I just have <laughs> to say it. Um, so it, it, maybe it doesn't mean anything, but we're also talking about just one example versus mountains of evidence that suggests that that doesn't always happen. So yep. that is everything I've got on Whitmore, unless you have anything else, Sam.
1: Um, no, just another reminder about how young he is. So oh, he's yeah. at a point in his basketball trajectory where he's going to be improving, he's going to be changing a lot over the next few years. So there's certainly pathways to to skills that we might not have even hit on. And certainly, he's got he's got upside. One other thing I'd mention, just as kind of a note I have, even though he's a great athlete, he played off of two feet a little bit more than I think was necessary. I don't know if some of that was Villanova always teaching their guys to play off two (laughs) feet. And look, he has big dunks off one foot. It's not like a complete um, red flag with him. Just uh, his athleticism in traffic at the rim wasn't as good as the open court. And I think that's something he can work and fix with like a training staff at the next level. But just another thing I'll be keeping my eye on. But overall, no, as a prospect really enjoy watching him. He's a guy that I I came into last year uh, expecting to be in my top five prospects, and he's still right in that range, top five to seven. So would be a very good and very worthy selection for the Indiana Pacers in my humble opinion.
0: <laughs> the, then the lazy man in me wants to just say every Nova player, it's pretty good outcomes
1: in the FBI yeah. too..
0: Yep. <laughs> I hate to think like that, but sometimes with like Kentucky Nova, I'm like, oh man, it's just they're, they're gonna be at least close yep. to their upper percentile.
1: Yeah, that's why I tell people and Wallace, Look back at all the Kentucky guards recently. After you're done with your board, bump him up another two or three spots because Kentucky guards, they always overachieve. So.
0: Every Nova player, you look at their draft position and how good they are, you're like, man, they should have gone
1: higher. In I know. It's yep. Crazy.
0: It's, it's lazy to say, especially because there's never one and done it's like way more, but it's, it's pretty bananas what they've been able to do. Sam, thank you for the time. Where can people find your work covering the draft?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Draft Dummies and there I'm, you know, posting not stats. Not, not a dummy, no, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I also don't want to act like, uh, you know, I'm better or bigger than anybody else. Like I'm there to share my thoughts, my feelings, my stats that I come across, clips. And I'm posting a lot of that as the draft is now just like a month away, as your listeners are probably well aware. So this is a fun time of the year for us and I'll be linking to any other work on my twitter so just go ahead and follow me there and yeah thank you for having me on i appreciate it
0: i always love to have you on who did we do last year when i had you on i can't remember
1: uh we did aj griffin i still that's remember right that, who turned out to be good
0: that's right he was that's, good
1: yep. yeah matherin was
0: good too so that's right so i did matherin Bleef last year it's fun to listen back on that and be like, oh, wow. <laughs> you yeah. end up uh, hitting pretty high on some of these things. It's fun to look back on these, and it'll be fun to look back on this one when Whitmore is done. I highly recommend following Sam uh, TBD on what tomorrow's episode will be because I'm not in Indiana right now, so I've not planned some of the week. Later this week, we'll be talking about The two teams in the finals, can the Pacers learn anything from what they've done or how they're playing right now? Plus, it's June. We'll be getting into free agency previews by position for the Pacers. Thank you all a ton for listening. See you soon.